belonged to the church. We tell James, the brother of John, with the sword. Did you say the first couple of verses? Yes, that's, that's what Jesus did, didn't it? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't take long. Um, I fell asleep on it. That's right. <laughs> Herod the king. Now, you read about Herod a lot. We've talked about this a few times. Uh, which Herod was this? This was Herod Agrippa I. Which means he was the grandson of Herod the Great who killed the babies around Bethlehem. He was the nephew of Herod Antipas who killed John the Baptist. And this Herod here was the father of three semi-significant people later on in the book of Acts. He was the father of Agrippa. Now that's really King Agrippa II. But we call him Agrippa. Bernice who you might have thought was Agrippa's wife, and some people thought lived like that, but she was really his sister, and Drusilla, who was Mrs. Felix. All three of those were siblings, children of this Herod right here. For whatever that's worth as far as the family trees are concerned. <laughs> no. But the scuttlebutt was they were living that way. But no. Not technically. <laughs> yes, it was. Uh, you know, I mean, most, I think most historians and commentators think that's probably true. But no, she was not his wife. So, uh, what does Herod do? Yeah, mistreated the brethren, kills James. Which James? Yeah, sons of Zebedee, James and John, this James. Wow. This is pretty early. And already he's killed... Now, it's going to be interesting to see as we go through the chapter that he also decides to arrest Peter, except he doesn't kill Peter because God intervenes and protects and spares Peter. Now, why would God let James die and spare Peter? I don't have an answer to that. But isn't that the way God sometimes does? Does God always treat every faithful Christian the same way? Are there times that one faithful Christian may be spared some, you know, affliction, and another one receives it? Yeah, there are. A lot of times. I don't think this isn't saying that Peter was better than James, uh, or anything like that. It's just that you can't, you know, you don't always know what God's purpose is going to be for each person. So, James actually is killed with a sword. Is he the first martyr we've seen in the book of Acts that... Stephen. So he'd be the second one we've seen. And uh, there are, I'm going to notice uh, these just uh, as we come to them. I, I don't, you know, know that there's such a big deal about this, but when Luke tells this story, he uses the language of scripture, and especially he uses the language of the Exodus. The term mistreat in 12.1 is used a couple of times in Exodus and three times in Acts 7 to talk about what happened, you know, with Pharaoh mistreating the Israelites. We're going to end up seeing quite a few more parallels in language. I think, I, I don't know if this is really significant other than when Luke tells stories, he uses the language the scriptures use. Um, maybe there's something more than that, I don't know. But we will notice some others. Alright, anything else you want to say through verse 2? 
this next has got to be one of the coolest stories in, in Acts. Uh, 3 to 17. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of the unleavened bread. When he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to a garden, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer was for but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. <clears throat> now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night Peter was sleeping between the two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what, that what was being done to him by the angel was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came, came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel to rescue you from the hand of Herod, and from all, the Jewish, all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying for and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy she did not open the gate, but ran and reported that Peter was standing at the gate, and said to her, You are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, It is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Tell these things to James and to the brothers. And he departed and went to another place. Okay. Um, so, Herod wants to please the Jews. He sees they liked it when he uh, killed James, so he arrests Peter. When? Yeah, which means it was around the time of what? What big event is associated with Feast of Unleavened Bread? The Passover. Know anybody else who was uh, arrested at the Passover? Yeah. So, um, and, and here it seems like he's just going to kind of systematically dismember the movement. You know, he's already got James, now he's going to go for Peter. And uh, he's not going to do it during the feast, but right after. Um, and so... How does he uh, treat him? Well, how does he keep him in prison? Four squads of soldiers, which probably means that every at any given time there were four soldiers guarding him. Would you need four soldiers to guard you? He does. Do you suppose his uh, reputation for jailbreak might have, uh, you know, preceded him? Uh, probably. He was chained to two of the soldiers, and two of them acted as sentries. And so he's got four soldiers guarding him at at every time. Uh, they did not intend. Herod did not intend for him to uh, get away. And 
we would, well, meantime, in verse 5, what would, what was the church doing? How? Which is a word used for Jesus' agony in, the, in Gethsemane. You know, firm, intense. They are they are intensely and fervently praying for Peter. Really, you've got two things here: the power of God in answering the uh, answering prayer versus the power of Herod as the governor with the you know power of the Roman Empire behind him. Who is stronger, God or Herod, Roman Empire? Well, we're going to find out. Because it's the very night when Herod was about to kill him the next day. Peter's sleeping between two soldiers, and the guards are watching over. So he's got two soldiers watching, two that he's chained to, and what happens? (coughs) Yes, exactly. Now the Lord waits till the last possible moment, sends his angel who does what to Peter? Kicks him in the side. Yeah, strikes him in the side. We'll see that uh, the Lord strikes someone else in the, this chapter also, but to quite different uh, results. Um, and it looks like, this is kind of funny how the, the story is told here. It looks to me like Peter is kind of groggy. You know, he strikes his side, wakes him up, says, get up quickly. And then he says, gird yourself, put on your sandals. Then put on your cloak, follow me, you know. Peter's just sort of following orders as he seems to need to kind of be prodded each step of the way. But 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 actually, what was Peter really thinking? Yeah, he didn't even realize it was real until he got out of the prison, which is miraculously opened, you know. And it's like, wow, he's really out. This really happened. You know, Peter was able to break out of Herod's maximum security prison. And he did it with the assistance of an angel that the Sadducees don't believe in. (laughs) That's just uh, really rubbing it in their face in some senses. And uh, so he's, he's, you know, out on the street and the angel leaves. You know, he's gotten him released. What an amazing thing. Comments and questions through verse 11. How long he was in prison, or whether Peter was aware of... I guess it wasn't long if they just arrested him... Probably wasn't that long. ...during this... during the Passover. Yeah, if it hadn't been for that, they'd have probably executed him right away. But he was asleep. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, he, uh, yeah, exactly. Would you be able to sleep in that situation? And, and, you know, he tells about where the brethren were praying. Where were they? Yes. Mary's house, John Mark's mother. Here's another case where, where Luke introduces a character in a really minor role that he's later going to bring on the scene in a more major role. We're going to find out a little bit more about Mark in chapter 13 and chapter 15. (laughs) But right here, we see him just as the son of the 
sister where the church was gathered together and was praying. Peter evidently knew where the brethren would be. Having been released from prison, that's where he heads. He knocks on the door. I don't know. What do you suppose went through people's mind? Absolutely. I think in this environment, any knock on the door would have been fine. You know, you don't really want to hear the doorbell ring in this situation. Um, so, who goes to check on it? <laughs> Servant girl named Rhoda. Well, what she sees it's Peter. <laughs> what does she do? <laughs> She is so excited and so eager to share the good news that she forgot her presence of mind and didn't open the gate. She just goes back in and tells her, it's Peter, Peter, Peter. Now, think about it. They've been really worried about Peter. You know what happened to James already. So you can imagine that that's what they're thinking is going to happen to Peter. And in fact, that's exactly what Herod intended. And he's there. So you can see the excitement. They've been praying earnestly. And you can imagine, she didn't even think about letting him in. She's just so excited to see him and tell everybody that he's there. Well, when she goes in to tell, what happens? They don't believe her. You know, they're like, you're out of your mind. She says, no, it's him, it's him, it's him. And they're like, well, it's his angel. Whatever that's supposed to mean. And uh, meanwhile, what's Peter doing? <laughs> Knocking. You know, he could get out of Herod's cell, but he can't seem to manage to get into Mary's house. You know, <laughs> it's like, wow. He needed the angel a little longer. <laughs> it's the only occasion in history when it's, uh, it was easier to get out of jail than into a prayer meeting. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so he's he's left out there while the the uh, Christians deliberate over what, whether he's really there or not. <laughs> and go uh, oh, think about this one too. There's so many cool ironies in this. But you know, this is not the first time Peter's had an encounter with a maidservant. Neither of them were overly successful. <laughs> Remember when he denied Jesus because of a maidservant? Uh, so, uh, now, now the thing that's weird though about this is, what has the church been doing? <laughs> Why don't they believe it? You know, it's like, wow. How do you explain that? <laughs> Isn't that kind of funny? Yeah, except what we said earlier about James. Do you suppose they've been praying for James too? Well, that could be. So. Yeah, it could be. And I think that's what they meant when they said it's his angel. He's like, well, they already killed him. I would think so, yes. Yeah, I mean, certainly praying for him doesn't mean that God will automatically release him. But you'd think they think there might be a chance. I don't know. It's just kind of funny. Uh, they answer their prayers and knocking at the door, and they don't believe it's there. And uh, you kind of wonder if they're going to let him in before the neighbors are alerted, and you know they come and capture this uh, fugitive. 
you know, it kind of leaves you in suspense for a little while. And, uh, and but you know, they finally uh, go. They go and they see him. They're amazed. He tells them all to be quiet, and he just tells them what happened, and says, "Go tell these things to James and the brethren." And then he leaves. I don't know if he goes into hiding or what, but uh, he's he's gone. Um, now, when he says, "Go tell these things to James and the brethren," I thought James was dead. Yeah, new James on the scene now. Again, this is going to be a minor role for a character that's going to come to have a bigger role in chapter 15. But this is uh, James, the uh, Lord's brother, I think. Probably the author of the book of James, who really probably couldn't have been James, the brother of John, since it's hard to write something when you're already dead. So, so that, that's that story. Comments and questions. That's, that's just really such a cool story. It helps explain a little bit some of the other passages when Jesus did miracles. Like when he raised Lazarus, apparently all the people were so excited that Jesus said, uh, you want to unwrap him? And when they when he raised the girl, the Tabitha, J- Jairus' daughter. Yeah, it's like, uh, you want to give her something to eat? Mm-hmm. And here we needed Jesus. Uh, you want to open the door? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. But yeah. Excited about the, the miracle. Lost all uh, sense of common sense. Yeah, good point. I think you're exactly right. You know, sometimes, is it that God's miracles and deliverances just seem too good to be true? You know, even though we believe that God can do all these things in a way, it still seems like he really couldn't. And, uh, I mean, we know the apostles had been miraculously released from prison before, so, I mean, even that should make them think that it would be possible. But, I don't know, we get in the situation. We may pray, but we may not really think it could happen. Think about this. You know, do we believe that God is able to deliver us from our prison of sin. Do you pray to be delivered from the sins that have enslaved you? But do we really think it won't happen? You know, I've used this as an illustration, but this would be a good illustration, I think, right here. Several years ago, I was talking to a teenager on the phone, who was talking about a favorite sin of his. And he told me about his new plan. He'd been committing the sin, you know, like four or five times a day, and so he said his plan was to cut back to three. <laughs> well, <laughs> what do you say when somebody plans to cut back from four or five cents a day down to three? Well, what I said was, uh, you can't do that. <laughs> You know, you can't purpose to sin three times a day. But you know why we think that? I think because he didn't think God could deliver him all at once from all of those. And so he just thought cutting back would be a good start. I think 
you know, the church didn't really believe God would at least deliver Peter, you know, all at once. <laughs> I think if we had more conviction that God is the delivering God, and He can do that, and we're praying fervently, and God can release the chains that bind us, and He can open the doors of the prison. That's exactly what Jesus came to do. He came to redeem us from the power and bondage to sin. So I think that's a good lesson. I think sometimes we may be just as surprised by the Lord actually doing it as what they were. I don't know. You can think about that application. But comments and questions through verse 17. I think it's cool that he still does those things even when they're really surprising to us. Like we might not have I don't believe it as much as we could have, you know, still answers. Mm-hmm. Good point. God's very merciful. Very long-suffering. Other thoughts? All right, how about 18 to 25 then? day came, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers as to what could have become of Peter. And when Herod had searched for him and had not found him, he examined the guards and ordered that they be led away to execution. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and was spending time there. Now he uh, was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and with one accord they came to him, and having won over Lastus, the king's chamberlain, they were asking for peace because their country was fed by the king's country. And on the appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to them. And the people kept crying out, The voice of a god and not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of the Lord continued to grow and he multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission, taking along with him John, who was also called Mark. Okay. So, next day, no small disturbance among the soldiers. Why? Peter, sir. Yeah, no Peter. That's a bit of a shock. And uh, they don't really know what happened to him. And so what did Herod do? Yeah, but even before that, he searched. Now, it's possible he just ordered the search. But I like to kind of picture Herod sort of running through the prison, looking at all the corners, seeing if he can, you know, manage to spot Peter somewhere. You know, wouldn't that have been humiliating? You know, he executes a thorough, you know, search of the prison, and he can't find that prisoner anywhere. And so then he examines the guards and executes them. Typically, the guards would pay the penalty that the prisoner would have uh, received if they were found guilty. So that, that gives another way of seeing exactly what he had intended to do with Peter. Kind of a shame for those poor guards, don't you think? I mean, would that make you feel bad if you were Peter? You know, your release meant the guards were killed. Well, obviously, God had Peter released in a way that caused that. So God could have had him released in some other way that would not have. So, 
so is it really right for God to, you know, do this? Yeah, I think I, I think we're. This is probably a point that we need to make somewhere. Maybe there's a good place to do it. You know, our commitment to the Lord and our service to God sometimes may create fallout that could hurt other people. You know, they may be they may be emotionally hurt and be angry with us. They may be financially hurt or physically hurt because our, we're living for God. I mean, you think about it. Jesus when he was on his way to the cross had you know Simon, who I'm sure had other business to attend to that day, had to drag the cross outside the city. And that you know is all because of what Jesus was doing that day. There's a price other people have to pay for our prior commitment to the Lord, and I think that helps us not feel guilty when what we do causes other people to have to suffer because we are committed to God. Isn't that a cool story? I love that story. But it's cool to tell. <laughs> you can just see it happening. Can't you imagine her doing that? Can you imagine me doing that? Yeah. Yeah, it's just like it's so cool. Can you imagine me doing that? Yeah. Cousin Kyle ran on my show. Yeah. Do I know? And you didn't expect it was him? No. And when you saw it was him, did you shut the door in his face? <laughs> Mom opened the door. Ah. I knew it was him. Ah. Or I would have opened the door. <laughs> so are we going to name you now Ariel Rhoda? Ariel <laughs> Rhoda. Rhoda Ariel. Rhoda Ariel. Something like that. So, uh, you know, I just think that's that's uh, something to, to consider that, you know, I mean, when we're serving the Lord, sometimes some people are going to suffer something because of our commitment to God. Um, so Herod ex- executes those guys, and then Herod's really upset with the people of Tyre and Sidon. Now, if you look back at 1119, those who are... Uh, scattered because of the persecution of Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. Phoenicia would be the area of Tyre and Sidon. And they really kind of need Herod to like them because they depend on Herod economically. And yet Herod's very upset with them. (laughs) So what do the people of Tyre and Sidon do? First. Over this guy, 
Yes, Blastus. Related to the king. Yeah, or, or a minister of the king, servant of the king, yeah. Like, uh, you know, his chief of staff or something like that. Now, wonder how they won Blastus over. Money. That's my guess. I can't think of anything else that works uh, greater wonders in politics. You know, the uh, Proverbs talks about that, too. Uh, you know, money can reconcile friends when nothing else could reconcile people. Um, and uh, so Blastus arranges for them to be able to see King Herod and ask for peace. And, and they've got the appointment set, and on that day, Herod is in his, you know, kingly garments, and he starts giving this oration. And what do the people say? Yes. Um, I think it's Josephus that says that, you know, the sun, the way it's shone on him, and so forth, uh, made him look like he glowed, sort of really bright and brilliant. And, uh, of course, what are they really trying to do, the people of Tyre and Sidon? Flatter him! You know, when somebody wants something from you and they tell you how great you are, Take it with a grain of salt, you know. They got a reason why they're telling you that. Uh, looks to me like uh, Herod believed his own publicity releases. Because uh, he liked this, you know. I mean, what if somebody said, you know, wow, the way you talk. I mean, it's, it's, it's like you're God, not man. What would, what would you feel? you think, wow, yeah. I'm really good, aren't I? Or would you recoil, recoil on horror and say, no, no. You know, don't look at me. Look at the Lord. He liked this. It, it, he, was, he was glorying in this flattery. And God wouldn't put up with it. God will not share his glory with someone else. And so what did God do? Remember the angel striking Peter? Now the angel strikes Herod. God didn't do the same thing to Peter that he did to Herod when he struck him. Strikes Herod because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and died. The difference between this glorious exterior and imagining his insides being eaten by worms, isn't there? You know, um, Josephus says that Herod developed severe stomach pains and lasted five days before he passed away. Which I think fits perfectly with this. I mean, when you picture him being eaten by worms, honestly, years ago I used to imagine, whoa, worms were crawling all over and eating his flesh up. But no, I think the idea of being eaten by worms is like intestinal worms. You know, not eating outside, eating them from the inside which is probably even grosser. And uh, it's the, the lesson is, this is what happens when you don't give God the glory he deserves. I mean, can you think of anybody else in the Bible who didn't give God the glory and didn't go too well for it? Who comes to mind? Moses didn't. You're right, and what happened to him? That was pretty serious punishment. Who else didn't give God the glory? 
thinking about a guy who uh, do Pharaoh? Well, yeah, Pharaoh didn't. That's for sure. Thinking about a guy who had his very uh, humanity called into question once he uh, didn't give God the glory. Yes. Yeah, Nebuchadnezzar. Remember what happened to him? You know, he brags about Babylon that I built by my wisdom and from my power and all this. And he had to live like a beast and eat grass and let his nails grow like claws and he grew feathers and <laughs> the whole nine yards. Uh, became an animal for a complete period of time to learn to give God the glory. You think about the king of Assyria in Isaiah 10 who exalted himself and God cut him down to size. And, and, and you know, there's lots of other examples. What are, how are we doing with that? Do we give God the glory? Or do we sort of, when somebody says, wow, you just do that so good. Yeah, yeah, I've worked hard on that. Or do we say, thank God for what he's doing. Are we consciously seeing God as the source of our blessings and saying it? Comments or questions? Why do you not I have no idea. I don't know what kind of dispute they had had. Uh, it doesn't tell me. I only know what Josephus says second-handedly. So. I have Josephus, but I've never read him. <laughs> Good line. His compendium, compendium of works is huge, and it's like, you know, 500 lines to the page. So... I don't read that much. Um, Herod died, by the way, in 44 AD. So there's another time indicator for us. Um, you might think about a passage like Luke 1, where in, uh, is this, I believe this is Mary's song. Uh, think about Luke 1.52. She says about God, He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. Think about what he did with Herod and Peter. That's a pretty good summary of this whole chapter. He knocked the ruler off his throne and exalted the humble one. Comments and questions further through 23? 24, just the summary statement, and shows you the time is passing, where the Lord continues to grow, and be multiplied. Um, and then Barnabas and Saul come back from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission. What was their mission? Taking the money. Yeah. So they've done that job and they come back and they bring John Mark uh, with them also. So if you stop and think about it, look at the, the distinction between early in the chapter and the end of the chapter. Early in the chapter, James is dead, Peter's in prison, and Herod's triumphant. The end of the chapter, Herod's dead, Peter's free, and the word of the Lord is triumphant.
You might think about this also. You know, the fact that Barnabas and Saul come back from this mission shows the idea of this famine relief. That among brethren, they help each other out and they are all their needs are supplied. In contrast with Tyre and Sidon, who were fed from Herod's country and were starving because they were on the outs with Herod. Um, you see that among God's people, you have, um, you know, the sharing and the resources available that they all do well. In the world, there's a bunch of, you know, su- needless suffering and, and difficulties. So it's just almost a contrast between how you see the Christians operate and how you see the world operate. And so, and, and in a sense here, we've got a story within a story because this now completes what we started at the end of chapter 11. All right, anything else on chapter 12? What city was Peter in? Is that still in Jerusalem? Um, yeah, they are in Jerusalem. I believe, yeah. Because it starts in 11, talking about Antioch, and then it jumps to the story of Peter, and yeah. it goes back to... If you look at 1219, the end of it, then Herod went down from Judea to Caesarea. So obviously he had been in Judea during these days. <coughs> but we do, from time to time, change places of activity. And not always with a notice. So. Anything else on chapter 12? We're going to have to have snow and few people more often. I don't think two acts here. There too. Alright, um, chapter 13 really begins the second major part of the book of Acts where you almost have a mirror image of the first 12 chapters. In the first 12 chapters, who is the predominant character? Beyond all the others, who's the main character? In Acts 1 to 12, Peter. Who's the main character in 13 to 28? And there are all kinds of parallels between how Peter's described in the first half and how Paul's described in the last half. Now, what's the key central city in the first half of the book? Jerusalem. And in the last half? Antioch. Antioch, yeah. Antioch seems to be more the hub of Paul and Barnabas and Paul and others' activities. So you're seeing this transition going from the focus on Peter and Jerusalem to the focus on Paul and Antioch. Uh, This is part of the way God wanted this, uh, you know, story of Acts to be recorded. Um, So, um, would somebody read verses 1 through 3? And they were in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers.